When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is sponsored by Mordu by Alex Phoebe. God is dead, his corpse hidden beneath Mordu. Young Nathan Treves ekes out a living by picking treasures from the living mud until his desperate mother sells him to the mysterious master of Mordu. The master feeds upon the corpse of God for power, but Nathan, despite his fear, has his own strength, and it is greater than the master has ever known. The compulsively readable Mordu is a strange, new, and terrifyingly alive epic fantasy full of unforgettable characters and a talking dog who wants to be a philosopher. Alex Phoebe has been shortlisted for the Welcome Book Prize, and he won the Republic of Consciousness Prize for Best Novel. You can find Alex on Twitter at Alex Phoebe. That's at A-L-E-X-P-H-E-B-Y. And you can check out Mordu now. That, again, is Mordu by Alex Phoebe. Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 113, and we are recording on September 17th. I just had to check those numbers because neither of them felt right because time is a flat circle, but they're true. I'm Jen Northington. I'm here with Sharifa Williams, who is recovering from a cold, and we are coming to you from Book Riot, and we're going to talk about fall reading vibes. Sharifa. Yeah. I don't have COVID, just so everyone knows, but I do sound funky today. Uh, But I'm getting there, and this is actually the perfect topic because whenever I get sick, all I want to do is bundle up and, you know, drink. I have have had so many cups of tea today. I cannot (laughs) even tell you I've never had this much tea in this little time in my life. So it feels <laughs> Hopefully right. with a little with a little honey for your for your throat, yes, maybe. Yes. I am sipping on some honeyed tea right now. It's lemon ginger in case you were wondering. Mm. It's very good, but I'm really excited to talk about our fall reading picks. Yes, yes. I I'm the same way. Like even if it's in the middle of a heat wave, if I'm sick, I like want it to be 50 degrees out buried under blankets yes. and like eating chicken soup or something. Yes. It's a so. it, it's a comfort, I guess. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Well, let's see. Before we get into the news and then our reading picks, we want to remind everyone that we are going to do SFFEA Book Club, a special episode just dedicated to one single book. We haven't done one in a while. Mm -hmm. And you, this time, you can vote if you are so desiring on our options. We have three. We're looking at for fantasy, Ray Bearer by Jordan Ifueco, for science fiction, The All-Consuming World by Cassandra Kaw, and for science fiction fantasy pick, Light from Uncommon Stars by Raika Aoki. You can vote by emailing us, sffia at bookriot.com. Just uh, let us know if there's one that you're particularly interested in, and we'll announce our pick in early October. So you can vote through September 30th, 
And yeah, that's that's happening in the actual episode will be in November. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Oh, Sharifa, would you like to tell everybody about our sponsor before we do news? Why, yes, I would. Our first sponsor is Iron Widow by Shirin J. Zhao. And this is a story described as Pacific Rim and the Handmaid's Tale meeting in this blend of Chinese history and mecha science fiction. The boys of Huaxia dream of pairing up with girls to pilot chrysalises, giant robots that battle the aliens beyond the Great Wall of China, even though the girls die in the process. When Zichian offers herself up as a concubine pilot, it's to assassinate the pilot responsible for her sister's death. But it becomes clear that she is an iron widow, a female pilot who can sacrifice males to power up chrysalises instead. This is described as a genre-busting blend of mecha science fiction and Chinese history, and the author's YouTube videos examining Chinese history and culture has over 10 million views, and the author describes the book as 400 pages of female rage. So if that sounds <laughs> your jail, yeah, I was like, wow. Wow. And that makes an impact. Mm -hmm. And this is coming from a debut author. It has queer content on the page. So if you are looking for something that is in the realm of, you know, mecha science fiction, you should definitely check out Iron Widow. Again, that is by Shirin J. Zhao. We've had a few new mecha books coming out. And I'm yeah. I'm here. I'm always here for mecha fiction. That is that is an intense premise, though. Wow. All I right. know. I I'm really curious and interested. Yes. <laughs> Color me intrigued. Yeah. All right. Well, sort of an interesting segue, actually, because that is a very uh, gender focused premise. There. I mm-hmm. uh, for our first news story, I want to talk about. Two connected things. The Why the Last Man trailer came out uh, well back in August. I've had this on the agenda for forever. We just keep not talking about it. But today is the day. So, yes, they are. They have just started streaming Why the Last Man. I also have it on my watch list. And the trailer is pretty intense. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you watched it, I Sharifa. did. It was very intense. Mm-hmm. I was on the edge of my yeah. seat. It's, it's like, it's gory, it's action-y, there's just like a lot going on, which is interesting because, now granted, it has been probably decades at this point since I read Why the Last Man, and I didn't finish it, so, you know. I, my memory is hazy, and I never finished it, like I said, so caveat. But I don't remember it being this, like, action sequence after action sequence. And, of course, that might just be, like, those are the moments they're going to pick for a trailer. Like, you're not going to do the quieter moments in a trailer, probably, because, you know, you're you're trying to catch attention, right? Yeah. yeah. But, uh, but, but on top of that, there is this great, post from Charlie Jane Anders, who was in the writer's room for the show, worked on it. And it's uh, called Everything I Learned from Working on Season One of Why the Last Man. And this is 
this is the only this post is literally the only reason I'm going to watch this show <laughs> because the premise of why the last man, as we've talked about before on the show, and as Charlie Jane Andrews acknowledges, is like super problematic from a biology and gender standpoint. Like it assumes that all men have a Y chromosome Mm -hmm. and that all women do not and that everybody with a Y chromosome dies, meaning all the men die except for this one dude named Yurik. And like that's just literally biologically untrue. And so uh, one of the things that Charlie Jane Anders and the other writers – who involved in the show did was, first of all, obviously having trans voices in the writer's room, but consulting with various folks. And she lays out like all of the things that she was nervous about, that she was keeping in mind, that they did, you know, to try to tackle the original premise and update it. And I loved this line that is in the piece where she says, like many other classics, why the last man reflects the time when it was created And when we adapt the things we love, we also have an obligation to update and improve them, especially where they have the potential to do harm to a marginalized community here and now. Like that is just so exactly what it is that I'm looking for from all of these adaptations of like Dune, Wheel of Time, like Lord of the Rings, whatever. Like that's what I'm That's exactly what I'm looking for. And so it was really cool to see Anders lay out, like, what this process was like and, like, what they were keeping in mind and, you know, what the concerns were and the context for this. And there have been so many sci-fi and fantasy works that, like, lean very heavily into a gender binary, a male-female gender binary, which is a thing that I don't love to see because it does erase this entire population. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I just I don't know, I'm really heartened by this and and excited to to see the show and see what they did with it. Yeah, I learned a lot about this. I hadn't read Why the Last Man. Um, so I'm coming to this with very little knowledge. But reading Charlie Jane Anders blog post was really eye opening. And I, I think that that was a really good um, pull quote to highlight because mm. it does really encapsulate a lot of uh, what we talk about on this show when we talk about adaptations and, you know, the things that we are both concerned will be represented in movies, especially when they are adapting classics. And then mm-hmm. talking about sometimes when you hear the response from people who think that you know, adaptations are changing the story too much by recognizing the realities of the world Mm. and how diverse it is and how there aren't these binaries that exist. And so I really enjoyed reading this blog post and recommend everybody does. Uh, It did give me, uh, it did encourage me to watch this movie because Reading just the summary from Wikipedia, of course, because that's the first <laughs> place I went, was uh, yeah. <laughs> I I immediately was like, hmm, this is interesting. Like, how are they going to make mm. this? And then when I saw that you included a little uh, the blog post from Charlie Jane Anders, I was like, OK, I, I'm about to read something interesting um, about how they're going to approach this. And it definitely was so. Yeah, I I highly recommend everybody reading the whole thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's also some good 
links in there for further education around biology and gender. So if you need like education for yourself or perhaps others in your life who are like not getting it, there's some good resources in there as well. Always excellent stuff from Charlie Jane Anders. Oh, yes. 100%. (laughs) Well, both of my news stories today are very, like, in the realm of weird (laughs) science. I don't know how that happened. I think it was kind of a quiet uh, couple of weeks, but I was really happy to get into these stories. And because uh, you had such a reaction to this one, I'm going to start with this (laughs) Vampires in Space post from Sci-Fi Wire. This is... Reported on by Elizabeth Rain, who is talking about this new study. And first of all, space vampires is a bit of a stretch, but I'll take it because it's fun. (laughs) (laughs) But there's a new study about this thing called astrocrete. And what astrocrete is, is a combination of dust from... Um, loon, like basically lunar or Martian dust, space dust that also has blood in it because blood, they learned, contains a protein that combined this dust to create a, this substance that rivals ordinary concrete, which is super weird. Just like I am – every time I read stories about space and science, I – I'm first of all baffled that, you know, people would even think to create these combinations or think, yo, what, uh, we want to create something that's as strong as concrete. What would, what should we put into the lunar dust? Let's just like throw some human blood at it and see what happens. (laughs) So not only is there blood, this is like a literal like blood, sweat, and tears, uh, (laughs) material because you also have to add an acid from astronaut urine. So this piece like goes over some of the details of the study and um, the study was published in Materials Today Bio, which is, to be fair, not a magazine I regularly pick up and read, Uh, (laughs) but they were actually inspired by this other project that where they were attempting to make glue from synthetic spider silk, which is also cool and very like straight from the pages of a comic book or something. Um, so they they came up with this substance and then they go into like the thinking project of, well, how are we going to draw blood from astronauts while they are in space? And, <laughs> and how are we going to make this happen? And, you know, we we're kind of far from actually testing this out in the natural environment of Mars, but mm-hmm. it's something they're still uh, researching because it could very well be useful when we are horribly colonizing the Martian planet in a very science <laughs> fictional way. But, you know, I just thought that this was super interesting and also a little bit horrifying, just the thought of you know, these astronauts who are, I, I'm sure, under a bit of duress, a little stress. Their bodies are already um, dealing mm. with some some new things, also being, like, plugged up to some bloodletting machines. And I just <laughs> thought this was very aptly described as something that is venturing into sci-fi horror, is how the author of this article mm. described it. Um, 
But also, I love sci-fi horror, so it fascinates me. <laughs> but I know you were a little bit. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I was like my face when I started reading this. I It was very... I, but then, okay, so I went through like a whole evolution in response to this piece. My first, okay. I was kind of horrified. And then I was like, this is super interesting. And now I have like several burning questions, including, mm-hmm. so as I know from watching a bajillion episodes of Grand Designs, which mm-hmm. is this British home building show, concrete is one of the most polluting materials Aha. used in building to make. So I'm like, why don't why don't we do this here? Like why does it have to be on Mars? Like we have silica That's here true. on Earth. We have plenty of like bodily fluids. You know, <laughs> like you need urine and blood. Like, well, I take it back. There is there continues to be a blood shortage for the medical field. So like everybody go donate blood if you can. Um and we should not be, you know, making building materials with blood when we need it for health reasons. Yeah. That being said, like I can conceive of a time when this could actually be tested out here more than just in their mini test that they did with a 3D printer. And I'm just like, what could it, is this like a potential renewable resource that we could take advantage of right here? Do we have to go to space to use this? Like, this is my burning question Mm. right now. Uh, But I also agree that like, I can see how, you know, in the nice version of us using this, it just means that um, renewable resources that include human waste are an option for building like habitats, right? Which is good. Like you want as much, especially if you have a habitat that can't be an open system, it has to be a closed system. You want to use everything inside the habitat usefully. Yeah. So like in the like solar punk version of this, this is awesome. In the dystopian version of this, it's terrifying. So like <laughs> probably the reality will be somewhere in the middle. But science is weird. This is pretty interesting and i'm i'm so glad you found it (laughs) science is super weird but so weird (laughs) but yeah i thought that that was really interesting and who knows maybe one day we will be creating actual materials out of you know maybe lab created proteins from human blood we'll see yeah weird weird (laughs) um all right, so let's see. Uh, w- let ne- let's talk about another fun science thing. Um, I'm actually really excited not to just have like a billion adaptation stories to discuss. I know, it's nice to talk about other things. So this is something I saw on TechCrunch that I was like, I want one. So. <laughs> This this story comes from TechCrunch, reported on by John Fingus, and a Chinese EV startup wants to build a rideable robot unicorn, ostensibly for children, but like, side note, I want a robot unicorn. Same. <laughs> like, why? I don't need to ride it. I just want to have it. So... <laughs> So the company Xpeng has made a teaser video uh, of this robot unicorn that they are working on developing, and it combines the research they've done into autonomous driving and other AI tasks to like navigate different terrains and also interact both with objects and with like 
quote unquote emotions, which is interesting. Yeah. Um, and it's it's not soon, you know. Uh, we don't know when it will come. We don't know how much it will cost. Probably thousands of dollars. Um, but like, who cares? Is mine? Like, I will start saving now for my very own robot unicorn. If you watch the video or just see the picture, it's adorable. It's super cute. I mean. I just, I want it. I want it. <laughs> I would have gone wild as a child. I mean, I am in your same boat. I definitely <laughs> want this creature. My cat would be very irritated with me, oh, but that's Tabitha. fine. I'll put a little seat on it and have Tabitha ride the yes! <laughs> I'm living for that, like, Instagram <laughs> reel or TikTok or video or whatever. The next slide would be of my face completely scratched up. But I love <laughs> this unicorn so much. At first, my initial reaction was like, in what world does this look like a unicorn? But then I was right. like, I love this thing. It's so cute with its little <laughs> raised eyebrows. And I watched the the little video that they uh, produced. And it uh -huh. was so, like, soothing and cute. And I was like... Mm -hmm. Yeah, me and this unicorn can go on adventures and like <laughs> run out in nature and hang out. I am really curious about the like responding to like having an emotional interaction aspect of it because I'm trying yeah. to picture what that looks like and I'm not sure if it's just like some sympathetic bleep bloops that come from the unicorn right. when you're like, oh, I'm feeling a little sad today. But right. uh, I... I want to, like, look out for the first videos of actual kids interacting mm -hmm. with this thing because I feel like it's going to be a world of entertainment. Yes. Yes. It does. It does have, like, like, it really doesn't look like, I mean, it's like a quadruped that could be <laughs> sort of horsish with this, like, stubby little tiny horn. Like, it's yeah. the stubbiest little horn. And at first I was like, whatever. And now I was like, no, that just makes it extra cute. Like, it's, it, it has does. won me over. <laughs> the more you look at it, the more you fall in love with it. Agree. <laughs> Agree. Lord. Uh, okay. Well, my last story is a long one, but I'm going to keep it short because there is no way I can get that into depth in this story. But it is just like another we are entering the Blade Runner world style story. <laughs> and it's because it's a it's another AI story. This one is about speech synthesis and it comes to us from The Verge. And it's reported on by James Vincent. And it's about this development in speech synthesis where people are going to have better, they're going to have access to better speech synthesis than we've ever seen before. So basically what you do, and different companies have access to this technology, it's not like super rare or anything. So what you do is you you talk into a microphone and you have to be as, you know, clear as possible, not mumble a lot, um, re-record. But once you you do this sort of performance, this audio performance, um, this AI is able to synthesize your voice. And the person who wrote um, this piece, James Vincent, actually tested this out and was talking about how uncanny it was, how, like, the voice 
like you are your best judge of whether a voice sounds like your own. And from the description, it sounds like it was eerily similar to the author's voice. Um, So they go into this uh, technology of neural networks that are trained to target your voice and generate this raw audio of somebody speaking. And it's not like the, I guess, uh, synthesized voices of your that very much sounded like this sort of flat robotic voice. It it sounds like your voice, but it does not convey the emotion because immediately, of course, my mind went to all sorts of places of like, well, you know, you could just completely be replaced as a voice. Like there are Mm. people who rely on their voices for things like, of course, in the bookish world, narration. And, you know, there are musicians. um, But there's also this great aspect of it where it's like, well, you can, I mean, I don't know if great is the word, but people can rent out their voice and not have to appear places. So there's there are all sorts of applications for this tool. But it is mentioned that, you know, this this AI voice does not convey emotion like humans do. So I was put at ease because I was like, okay, well, in order to do things like narrate audiobooks, that is like a huge part of it. You have to be able to... Uh, convey emotion and that part Mm. of the storytelling is a big thing but there's also this aspect i think in the of course because we are podcasters there's this aspect of it where where now people are using it for like podcast editing where you can like cut out people's words like if they do a flub and you can actually put in a word you can type in a word in your own voice will say that word without you having to say it yourself. So I just thought this is that this was so interesting. And I'm really curious about how it's going to be used in the future. And what, you know, actual helpful uses it will have, because I'm sure there there are many, but there's also like, I think referenced in this story, there were fraudsters who are using voice clones mm-hmm. to trick companies into moving money into other accounts. So I just thought that this was so curious. I don't know why I'm so fascinated by AI. I think maybe I need to read more AI sci-fi, um, <laughs> possibly to frighten myself, but also because yeah. it's fascinating. Uh, but yeah, I just thought this story was super interesting. Yeah, it's. I remember when Descript, which is one of the podcast services that they mentioned that has this, rolled out the feature where they were like, you can just type in a word and we'll say oh, yeah. it in your voice to fix your editing. And I was just like, no, thank you. <laughs> like, you cannot have I my can voice. See you. Yeah, I can see how and why you would want to do that. But like, no, thanks. I will pass. <laughs> and as always, with this kind of technology... There are there are great uses for this. Like, obviously, there are smart, interesting uses for this. There are also so many ways this kind of technology can be abused. We've already seen with deep fakes yeah. how good a lot of that 
software is and how horribly people misuse it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this is just yet another opportunity. And and I think also, as always, it's all about the licensing. Like, they, they give this example where for an Anthony Bourdain documentary. Oh, yeah. They they revealed after the fact that they used this kind of AI to get audio of Bourdain saying lines that he'd actually written in a letter and never spoken. And people were not happy about that. Um, but then also, like, Val Kilmer uh, got a voice clone created of himself because he had to undergo you know, surgery uh, as part of treatment for throat cancer. So he no longer can use his voice the way that he would like to. So like, but I think it's a clear, there's a clear difference. Bourdain is not around to consent to the use of an AI mimicking his voice, whereas Val Kilmer presumably was involved in that. So like, you know, who gets to say whether or not you can use my voice image, DNA, blood, you know, whatever is like the 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 in fact crux of the matter. So, you know, and people will always misuse any tool. So because yeah. people. Yeah. But with, it is it is super interesting technology, there's no doubt. It is. With developing, that is that is always what gets me with developing technology and the way we're so quick to develop technology these days. Mm -hmm. Um, Like there aren't a lot of guardrails in place. Like there isn't a lot of being able to anticipate things and being able to make sure people use things ethically and that we can protect ourselves against the advances we're making in technology. So this is just another example, I suppose. Mm-hmm. 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 It's a, it's a double-edged sword. It is technology. a double-edged sword. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, let us do our next sponsor and then talk about something much cozier. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but before we do that, our next sponsor is The Body Scout by Lincoln Michelle. In the future where you can have any body you want, thanks to advances in high-tech body modifications, a talent scout struggles to make ends meet as he searches for the next great baseball legend for big pharma-owned baseball teams. But when his brother, Monsanto Mets slugger J.J. Zuns, is murdered at home plate, our hero Kobo is plunged into a game far bigger and more corrupt than he imagined. I just have to make an editorial note. Monsanto Mets. That's like, that's real good. Uh, Okay, let's see. Back to the synopsis. So this is set in a New York ravaged by climate change and repeat pandemics little close for comfort there. Uh, It envisions a future that does feel all too plausible. It's sharp, it's wry, and it is perfect for fans of William Gibson and George Saunders. You can learn more by following the author on Twitter at TheLincoln or buy it today in print, ebook, and audio formats. This is, again, The Body Scout by Lincoln Michelle. I mean, just right in line with all of these news stories that we're talking about. (laughs) Oh, and so, so plausible. So very, very plausible. <laughs> oh, boy, those pandemic stories. I, Indeed. It sounds super interesting. Um, okay, well, let's talk about our fall reads. I 
went back and forth with myself because there are so many things fall signifies for me. Mm. But I went with this sort of vibe of slowing down that I get with fall um, and cozying up. And so I'm going to start with my fantasy pick, which is Circe by Madeline Miller, a favorite of mine. And this is a story taken from Greek mythology. It's a retelling of Circe and or rather of the Odyssey, but taking the character of Circe out of that. And this is a story that follows Circe, who lives in the house of Helios, who's the god of the sun. She has a mom who is not great to her, Percy, daughter of the sea god Oceanos. Helios isn't that great to her. Her step, her not step siblings, her siblings are not that great to her. She is a nymph. Um, and she's exceptional in that she is kind of unexceptional among her family and among all of the gods and the nymphs. She isn't beautiful, like she isn't their standard of beautiful. She has a voice that is bothersome to them because it sounds too human-like. And she has this power that she's just on the cusp of discovering. And her power is rooted in the mortal world, in the world of humans, which is a world that is, of course, scorned by the gods. They see themselves as above humankind. uh, But because Circe gets her power from the human world, it's seen as a threat. And because Circe wasn't expected amount to much, um, and when she proves that she does have power, and not only power, but power that can threaten the gods, Zeus ends up banishing her to this island to live in isolation. And so we get the story of a solitary woman living on this island and honing her craft, which is very occult and very rooted in uh, flora and plant life and potions. So as you might imagine, it's very witchy, which is my fall speed. I love witchy stories. (laughs) Uh, And this is like the perfect kind of witchy because it, it blends witchiness with Uh, Greek mythology, which is another passion of mine. And I just thought that this story was very lyrical. Madeline Miller is such an amazing storyteller. Um, And I think there's a reason so many readers were pulled into the story of Circe and pulled into Madeline Miller's retellings in general. She just really has a she takes a really interesting approach to these stories. And this was my introduction to her. And I could not put this book down the minute I picked it up. It was just beautifully told. And I think that Circe as a character is really interesting. I didn't know a lot about her uh, before I picked this book up. And I think the natural world in general is a big selling point for me in autumn. Um, I tend to get more nature in summer, but I tend to appreciate nature more in in the fall. So, And so I just really love this story a lot and think that 
if you haven't read it, you should definitely check it out because if you want to get cozy and feel a bit of like that moody, atmospheric, um, aesthetic, I guess you would call it, this is a really good one. Um, and this is also a story of vengeance. And those are stories I also really love. And I, I just recently learned, I don't know if I had heard this before, but the story is actually being adapted for a television series by HBO Max, which is mm. very exciting. Um, so I'm really excited about that. And I just want everybody to read this story. Again, that's Circe by Madeline Miller. Nice. Yeah, I also have a hard time defining like one overarching vibe for fall because it has meant so many different things in my life. Like when I was younger, it was back to school. And then since being in publishing, it's like fall is the season where everything happens all at once. Yeah. So it's never been slow necessarily. But it is also the time of year when I think I start to crave that idea of like being cozy and like hibernating a little bit in advance of winter and so I, I yeah I have a lot of different competing internal vibes let's say for fall yeah um, but so but so so my fantasy pick is the singing hill cycle by Nevo with a particular shout out to when the tiger came down the mountain although I think both of these uh, novellas work for the the prompt. The other uh, title is The Empress of Salt and Fortune, which I do believe we've talked about on the show before. Yes, but love it. The reason I picked these is because, and especially when the tiger came down the mountain, a lot of the action happens during a winter storm. So, like, it's, you know, fall looking towards winter is a thing that I do. And this is, like, very wintry, like, oh, we got to build a fire. We got to, like, stay close to the fire and weather this storm. Also, these, like, talking tigers might eat us. So we have to tell stories stories to try to prevent them from eating us like that's that's the central conflict of when the tiger came down the mountain and what I love about both of these novellas is that they do have they feel very grounded and rooted in an interesting way and I don't know if it's because of the way that they're told like the the cleric narrator Chi is their job is to go around collecting stories and and that's what they're doing and so you know in the Empress of Salt and Fortune they're collecting the story of this empress who went from being a sort of outcast exiled from court to a ruler in her own right and how she got there. And then When the Tiger Came Down the Mountain is about the different competing narratives around folklore and what is essentially the same story but told very different ways from the different parties it concerns. And like I said, it takes place largely in a snowstorm around a fire. So like talk about vibes. Mm. Like it's extremely atmospheric in that sense. And they just feel to me like the kind of stories you would tell around a fire. Maybe that's really all it is. They feel like campfire stories. And 
while I have certainly experienced campfires in the summertime, they are best, in my opinion, in the fall, where it's like just cold enough that you want your sweater on and you want the heat from the fire and you're going to like snuggle up close with the people that you're with. And, you know, maybe you're going to tell a ghost story. Maybe you're just going to talk. Maybe you're going to look at the stars. But like there's that campfire vibe. I think absolutely is present in both of the novellas of the Singing Hills cycle in different ways. And I also just love this world that Vo has created and is exploring with us. There's so many interesting characters. There's so such thoughtful world building. And like we just are getting these tantalizing little glimpses of different stories from this world in a way that I think is supremely well done. So yeah, it's it is it it's like absolutely campfire story time and that is that is what the Singing Hill cycle is. So again, that is The Singing Hill Cycle by Nevo. There are two novellas, The Empress of Salt and Fortune and When the Tiger Came Down the Mountain. Mm, that's such a good pick. Um Thanks. Yeah. Now I want to have a campfire in the fall. Um, right. <laughs> So my science fiction pick I chose because I couldn't resist a boarding school story because that is, I mean, that was my reading vibe for fall when I was in high school. I always wanted to go mm. to a boarding school. Uh, the more I read about boarding schools in fiction, the less I uh, I kind of take that back. <laughs> <laughs> there's also, There's always trouble abounding. And especially so in Never Let Me Go by Katsuo Ishiguro, which is a favorite, like, cold day, rainy day story, in my opinion. Um, So this is set at Hailsham, which is an English boarding school. It's a boarding school that is isolated. It's in the countryside the city is a faraway world that the students do not interact with regularly. And Hailsham seems like a very normal boarding school in that the students go to classes and they have interactions with each other. Friendships are made. Um, but Kathy, who's telling this story, who's recounting her past as a student of Hailsham, recounts her friendship with these fellow students, Ruth and Tommy, and things they discover about the school and about themselves through the school. And the story that Kathy tells is very, it feels very normal day-to-day life of a student, but you know that there's something else happening here. And I will say that the science fiction elements of this story, which I think if you know Katsuo Ishiguro's writing, it's very, it very much exists below the surface. So the speculative elements and also this ominous sort of gloom you feel about the story of these students is very subdermal, I guess. Um, And Kathy talks about the strange behavior of the school staff and the 
traditions the students all participate in. And to Kathy, these things seem, you know, par for the course, but even she suspects that something is off. And as the reader who knows that Hailsham is maybe an odd place and that something is amiss with the students, you recognize that maybe there's something more to these traditions, particularly when it comes to art classes, which are get a lot of uh, attention in the book. So there's this sort of sense of impending tragedy. And then there's also this story that just takes place in this sort of gloomy, misty English countryside. And there's a sadness in this story. And it's harder for me to read stories that have this underlying gloom in the summer when I just want to be happy and sunny. (laughs) But I definitely lean into this type of story in the colder months. And I think that because the story is also very quiet, it just has this sort of sense of calm and quiet about it. I think that it's a really good one for just kind of like bundling up feeling comfortable while also being slightly creeped out by what's developing (laughs) in the story. I just, I like that feeling for some reason. It just like emphasizes the coziness when you feel like things are cold and windy and sad Mm. somewhere else. But um, I just love this story and I kind of return to it in my head a lot because it sticks with you. But again, that was Never Let Me Go. By Katsuo Ishiguro. Yeah, that's interesting, that tension that you're talking about. I yeah. I have a different kind of tension that showed up in my sci-fi pick because mm. I was also realizing that, as I said, publishing really ramps up in the fall. Like, it's when all of the big books of the season tend to come out. And, you know, there's just a million billion new releases out to talk about. And the award season starts happening. You know, we start to get long lists for prizes. And it's like there's a lot of competing things to pay attention to. And maybe it's because of that that I always crave rereading in the fall. Mm. Like, it's almost like I'm so overwhelmed by all of the new things that there are to pay attention to that my brain just, like, shuts down. It's like, I just want to I just want (laughs) to read stuff I already know, which is mostly not possible (laughs) because I work in books. So, like, here we are. But... As I was thinking about it, I was like, oh, well, what's the thing that I want to reread this fall? Like, what is the thing that's calling me? And I've talked about this before as a thing I want to reread, but it really feels like it's it's even more present right now, which is Yunha Lee's Machineries of Empire series. There, This is a space opera. It is... Very complex and very dark. Like, this is not a cozy read. (laughs) This is not, you know, an easy read, but it is incredibly immersive and incredibly compelling. There are all kinds of, like, wild sort of inexplicable calendar-based rituals and religion and there's a ghost but there's also you know it's in space there's space travel there's cloning there's just all kinds of really interesting complicated elements at work here and in the best tradition of sci-fi there are also incredibly strong interesting 
characters, some of whom you're going to hate, some of whom you're going to not be sure about, like some of whom you're going to love. Like it just it has everything. It has everything. And it's so well done. And on top of that, there's now a short story collection that I haven't read yet, as well as uh, a short story prequel. So I just am like, oh, I want to like I've been meaning to reread it ever since I first read it because it is so dense and so intricate that I I know I was missing details, right? Like there are some books you read, you're just like, wow, one of these days I'm going to reread this and I'm going to pick up an, even more of what this author is doing. And The Machineries of Empire absolutely feels like that to me. So I've been meaning to reread it from the jump. And now that there are even more little installments in it, I'm just like, oh, I have to I have to get back to it. I, I want to <laughs> I want to reimmerse myself in this in this dark and strange and twisted twisted and fascinating world and, you know, find all of these moments that I missed the first time and revisit some of my favorite moments and, you know, just have that whole experience over again is really, it's like a compulsion. (laughs) I just really want to do it. Uh, So I'm, you know, we'll see. But I said on the last episode, too, that I'm going to reread the Dandelion Dynasty, which is like chunky, you know, epic fantasy. So like I'm setting myself up for failure here. I'm not going to be able to reread all of these things. But I really want to. And this can be aspirational. It doesn't have to be, you know, definitely going to happen, I've decided. So, yeah. So, yeah. So my fall aspiration is to reread Yoon Ha Lee's Machineries of Empire series. Um, the first book is Nine Fox Gambit. The first novel, I should say, is Nine Fox Gambit. The new short story that I haven't gotten to read yet is called Extracurricular Activities, which is a great, great. title. <laughs> uh, and that is listed as 0.5, like it comes before the first book. Uh, and, yeah, it's it's a trilogy that's complete, plus some short stories that come after the final novel. So if you are feeling, maybe maybe you haven't read it yet and you want a big project read for the fall, because that's also something people do, right? Like people do project reads in the fall. We've heard that from lots of folks, mm-hmm. both inside of our Contributor Core and Book Riot and outside, you know, from our readers. This is absolutely a fantastic project read to give yourself. Again, assuming you can hang with like some of the darker stuff. There's coercion, there's self-harm and suicide. There's, you know, lots of really intense dark moments, but it is so good. It's so, so good. Uh, So again, I've been talking about Yoon Ha Lee's Machineries of Empire series. I'll keep my fingers crossed. You can do that reread. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. You never know. You never know. <laughs> you it could happen. <laughs> so thank you all for listening. Uh, our, and thanks go out to Natalie Baker, our sound editor. Thanks to them for making us sound great each and every episode. If you would like more book recommendations, whether that's sci-fi fantasy or otherwise, you can get those at bookriot.com. You can also find our other podcasts at bookriot.com dot com slash listen and email us at sffia at bookriot.com whether you have feedback or a vote for our fall book club pick or a theme idea whatever shoot us an email and if you would also be so kind as to review us on the podcatcher of your choice that allows for reviews uh, we would love that it does help other folks to find this show which is always nice sharifa where can folks find you in between shows 
You can find me on Instagram. I'm at S-I-N-A Williams. That's S-Z-A-I-N-A-B. Williams. <laughs> Both of those things. Yeah. I, I'm on one of my social media hiatuses. But when I come back, you will find me on Twitter and Tumblr as Jen IRL, J-E-N-N-I-R-L, and on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. And we will talk to you next time. Bye.